Welcome back to another episode of the Startup Therapy Podcast. This is Ryan Rutan, joined as always by my co-host and the CEO of Startups.com, Will Schroeder. Will, today we're going to talk about the, the much lauded, often misunderstood and mischaracterized side hustle and why it's important, where it fits into startup life and uh, how to survive it and get through it. Yeah, and, and when to quit. <laughs> I mean, yeah, right. Really talking about what people are really asking. I mean, Everybody gets into the side hustle. Everybody, everybody loves the idea of the side hustle. And we used to call it just your startup. Now it's called. Now it has an official term. It's called the. <laughs> right. It's called the side hustle. But the question we get time and time again, every time I sit down with a founder and they're kind of they're so eager to do the next thing, the question I get is, what are the signs? What are the telltale signs that it's it's time to quit? It's time. And what they're really saying is, when is it safe to quit? You know. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> which it, is, right. Yeah. Which is, to me, kind of a funny question. Uh, Ryan, hey, when is it safe to know that your startup's going to be just fine and nothing will break? Yeah. <laughs> the hmm. kind of never. Never. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No. Yeah, yeah. I think it's it's about um, shifting the the odds of the probability from 99% failure to somewhere closer to 50-50, right? And then at that point, you might feel a little yeah, bit better about making look, a leap. The TLDR to this whole podcast is probably wait as long as you possibly can. <laughs> but Yes. <laughs> And probably a little bit longer after that. I mean, if we're if we're really like you know staking it out, I don't think that people have an issue when they are staying around too early with their side hustle. I think the issue yeah. comes around when, when they they uh, they cut out too early. Now, yeah, for sure. Now that Very said, do I see? Yeah, yeah. So so if, uh, I should have probably said I don't have a problem. I don't see a problem when they're staying too long. I see when they cut out too early. So what I'd like to do, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, but I'd like to make a case for sticking with what you're doing about as long as possible <laughs> and, then, and then and only then making the cut over. Uh, just, so at a high level, Ryan, let me ask you this. When you think about, uh, when you think about this, this discussion you're having with another founder and they say, hey, Ryan, I'm looking to jump ship. What are some of the first questions you're asking them to kind of qualify it a bit? Sure. So it is it you know it's it goes back to their personal burn rate. And we've talked about this in another episode and it's probably worth revisiting that at some point as you consider this, but it really goes back to this notion of are you going to be able to stay afloat, right? You've said this a thousand right. times. Startups don't right. run out of money. Founders run out of money, right? So the minute you which take is, on which is a, a personal burn rate, it's a huge piece of it, right? It's it's probably 80% of this decision is will I be okay? Will I personally right. be okay if I make this decision? For and sure. so one of the the things that I start to dig in on first are are really like because the most important thing is that personal survivability. But what the founders typically need to hear and what the 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 process that they need to go through in the questioning is what is it that you think you're going to do? One of the questions I love to ask and there's very rarely a good answer to it. It was okay, Let's just assume you quit your your job right now, and now you have all the time in the world to work on your startup. Do you know exactly how you're going to spend every hour of that time? And the answer is almost never, oh, yeah, yeah, I know exactly what I'd do, right? They know that there's a lot to do. They know that they're overwhelmed, but they don't know how they can spend that time efficiently, effectively, or in any way that might possibly pay them back and help to support their lifestyle. So typically sure. starting with that question helps to open them up a bit to the possibility that, oh, maybe I don't really need to quit, right? Saying like, yeah, I need three or four more hours, but I don't necessarily need 40 hours, right? So it's about right. understanding, you know, what, what, the, what the time aspect of this looks like. And then the other one, then the big one is like, what would your ability to be if you didn't have your paycheck anymore? If you dropped this right now, what would happen, right? How long would your savings account last? 
You know, how long right. would your spouse stick around? People think about that at some level, right? I mean, it's, it's not like nobody thinks that, hey, if I quit my job or stop doing what I'm doing, you know, uh, will I be in jeopardy in some way? So yeah. I yeah. agree with you. People are definitely thinking in that capacity. But Ryan, I think that what, what happens is you and I start this side hustle, right? And we're working like crazy. Yep. And the very nature of getting a startup started is there's so much stuff to do. Right, I mean, there's right. a million things to do, uh, pretty much all at once. And the thing top of mind is that we can't get it done. We have all these yeah. ideas, we have all these things that need to get done, but our job's holding us up, and we can't get them done. At first, I would say, look, that's going to be the case whether you quit this job or not. That's exactly right. right. I mean, yeah. you're going to be overwhelmed with stuff. There's no version where you quit your job and all of a sudden you're like, wow, you know, I've got free time. I, you know, I don't even know what to do. This is just like an endless yep. torrent, and you're saying you're going to make it less endless. You know, that's right. pretty much. Do you it. want to be overwhelmed or overwhelmed and poor? Is the question. So, okay, right? but like, that's so the that's, thing. That's basically yeah, it. like th- that's the thing. Like, so I think where it starts again is that we get this opportunity. We're so amped up, and yep. we want to go and we want to go get go full guns in this thing. And we feel like if we don't drop everything else we're doing and go full guns on this, then then it's it's never going to be successful. And there's some truth to that. Sure. Right. Is. I mean, there's there's a little bit of truth to that. And if there was nothing holding you back financially or any, you know, any other aspect of your life that you couldn't just dedicate to startup, then of course that's the right answer. Put as much time as you can into it. But I think it's figuring sure. out that can piece that becomes really, really important for people. So, but let's talk about the concept of runway. <laughs> yeah. Because I think this is gonna like basically be the, the core of this topic. It's not about when you should quit, it's about understanding runway and yeah. when you don't have it. So if you aren't familiar with the term, the concept of runway is simply how much longer do you have before your startup starves? And in this case, it's probably just you. So let's assume that the two are almost one and the same. Ideally, a founder's number one job is don't run out of money. (laughs) If you if you you look at the the Maslow's, you know, hierarchy of needs, don't run out of money is at the top of of, of that hierarchy, right? And you hear this all the time when people are talking about fundraising or anything else like that. They're just saying, if nothing else, don't run out of money. We're talking about you, we work. <laughs> and so, oh, uh, too soon. What, what, too soon. What, what we're talking about is what does your runway look like? Okay. Yep. And so, your runway is again, how much time do you have left in this startup before it runs out of cash? If you stop bringing in or creating whatever kind of cash flow you have right now, you cut off that runway. And so, Ryan, again, you and I are starting this business. We're we're super excited about our side hustle. And we say if we both quit our jobs, we've probably got six months worth of runway, personal savings, you know, maybe a small bit of investment. We got something. But here's the thing, man. When that runs out, (laughs) this show's over. It doesn't matter how much more time we created. We're done. And so at its core, Ryan, we're talking about part a big part of the decision for your personal runway is simply how much will you have if you cut off whatever your income stream or whatever you're doing right now? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the reality is for a lot of people, the, the side hustle can be almost infinite, right? You can spend as long as you need to, as long as you can maintain you know, your, your current employment, your current job, whatever your income source is. 
that gives you unlimited runway. And there's a lot of power in that. We've talked about this before. Um, it's one of the main considerations in taking on capital, because once you take on capital, you now have expectations. You probably start to hire people. You start to spend more money. And now all of a sudden you have a burn rate and a run rate. There is a point at which Absolutely. your spend will exceed what you have in the bank. And then it's game over or at least a massive change. Right. And and this Absolutely. is so much more serious when you're talking about this at a personal level than at the business level. Right. Winding down an LLC is one thing. You know, winding down your life is an entirely different prospect and far more painful. OK, so I had a buddy of mine that I, I met with today for lunch. Great guy. He's running this awesome company and he had a slightly different condition. This wasn't a side hustle. This is actually his primary gig. Yeah. But in order to keep the gig going, he's got to do a whole ton of consulting. And he's saying, yeah. look, consulting at this point for the business is like six to seven months of the business. Like yeah. I can't get my product built right now because doing all this consulting. So like the consulting is kind of getting in the way of my, sure. of my core business. And I said, fine. I said, that's fine. So long as you're keeping the runway extended, yeah. right? The, the idea of cutting that off and giving yourself tons of time to work on stuff, but... <laughs> At the expense of, of your runway yeah, um, is suicide. It is. And I mentioned to him, you know, the famous examples of folks that have done consulting or something else like that in order to drive their core business. And, and Basecamp comes up as, you know, one of the most famous yep. examples. You know, Jason and, and David, rather, spend a lot of time talking about that. How they worked for 10 years doing consulting to essentially yeah. get to what was, was Basecamp. However, you need to pay the bills. And I think two of the primary ones, Ryan, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. One is going to be from uh, paycheck capital, you know, whatever your current job is now. And the other is customer capital. Yep. Right? Whether that's consulting or new customers from the side gig or whatever, I can't see any reason why you wouldn't stretch those forms of capital as long as possible. What are your thoughts? It, having done it and seen both sides of it, I, I now know that I only have one preference there, and that's to extend that runway as absolutely long as you can, or just to not have a runway, right? Because you can put yourself in a situation where, okay, you can always lose your job, lots of things can happen, but at least theoretically, there's no end to that road, right? You can keep Correct. that going, as you said, you know, whether it's customer capital or, or you know, your current paycheck. And honestly, it's it's a great piece of advice, and it's a great way to start to transition out of the the job and into the business, even if it's not the full step, is through some sort of service-based proxy. And I talk about this with founders right. a lot and they're like, well, but I want to build software. And I said, yeah, software is expensive. Software takes yeah. a long time to build and you won't be it's sure risky. if it's actually going to solve the problem. It's risky. Whereas you can right. build the service proxy, run consulting, do the process manually. Sure, it's not as efficient. Sure, it's not as scalable. Who cares? You're going to build a better piece of software in the end if you ever do. And you won't have to, to give up income in the short term. So yeah, I think there's a lot of things you can do. And you know, people tend to hate half measures because it sounds like a bad thing. But honestly, in this game, if you can take a half step and plant it firmly as opposed to taking a full step and falling on your face, I'd, you know, I'd go for that every time. Well, there's another piece to this, and I I don't want this to get overlooked. Customer capital, paycheck capital, whatever you call it, is non-dilutive. Yeah, it's the best capital <laughs> you're ever, taking, right? Yeah, exactly. You're yeah. taking on cash without having to take yep. any dilution whatsoever. And exactly. so if the trade-off there, in my mind, if the trade-off there is going to be, I've got to spend 18 months taking paycheck capital, customer capital, you know, whatever it might be, 
or I can raise the same amount or use the same amount of time in say three to six months where I can be fully yep. uh, focused on the product. I'll take the latter every day of the week. Now, there's a lot of folks, investors mainly, that would uh, challenge us on that notion and yeah, say, no, sure. if you're if you're committed to this business, if you're going to go all in, go all in, don't mess around, et cetera. I think it's worth exposing some of the caveats in that case. Some of the yeah, caveats sure. are, if you raise money from an investor and you go all in and the money runs out, you're just done. <laughs> yep. Like The investor's going to keep on making more investments. They're going to keep doing what they do. But you aren't. You're going You're to be out of, out of a job, out yep. of money, and out of a company. I love how cavalier investors are about how committed you should be when they, on the other hand, have the optionality of just getting in and out of investments. It just it blows That's my right. mind. Yeah. So I don't even think this is necessarily a conservative approach, you know, if we look at it that way. If, oh, you know, the way Will and Ryan are talking, you're going to keep your job or you're going to, you know, uh, keep your customers uh, going with con consulting contracts. That's a conservative way. Not necessarily. To me, it's just an intelligent way to build a business without yep. being, without giving up equity at your, at your most, at time. When you need it the most, right? You, when you, you, need, you the need the capital, you've got, yeah, you need it the most and you've got the, the least ability to acquire it because that's the other thing too, right? Like, you, you know, it, we act as though like, well, I could just go raise funds for this thing. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, maybe once. You know, a lot of people that think they can do that, right? Maybe once and maybe it'll be enough to get you where you need to be. Maybe it won't. Uh, yeah, so no, I, I think the this idea of of trying to create as close to an infinite runway as you can until you know you no longer need it, right? At some point, the business creates its own runway. All right, so we have a pretty good sense for kind of mitigating some of our downside, but let's talk a little bit about really what we're looking for. You know, the things that are that are kind of maximizing the upside or giving us the signals to say, yeah, it's time to go. I, yeah. I would say. There's a bunch, and I'd love for you to talk about some of the marketing metrics because it's something you understand sure. really well. One of the things I would start with would be the, the sales metrics. Yeah. And what I say there is we talk to founders and they'll say, this thing's doing really well. I've got, I've got at least enough cash coming in from this that it could supplant what I'm otherwise making in salary. And that's always yeah. an important one. It is important. However, what I then often ask is, how long has that been going for? And I'll usually get an answer, something along the lines of, uh, well, as of this month, we're, we're positive. As of this yeah. month, you know, we've got a big enough sale, like an enterprise sale, or we've had monthly recurring revenue or something like that. That's kind of, you know, got us to that level. And I'm like, hey, that's cool. But how long has that been persistent? Yeah, right. And we love to take our best month ever and multiply it by forever. We're like, well, it happened once, but now we'll just keep doing that forever. Yeah. Here's how startup revenue actually comes in in a big blast all at once and then an absolute drought for a lot longer than you ever expect yep and then a trickle and then more drought and then a trickle yep. and then more drought <laughs> it's insanely variable it's it's no matter how many startups i look at no matter how, how many startups i've been a part of we all have some part in the business where it's just this absolute flood of great sales and great activity Often it'll be something like you just launched the product, you got a bunch of, a bunch of media, a bunch of traffic or something like that. You got a bunch of sales and um, and things look great. You know, we can't even keep up with sales. And that sounds awesome. What's missing from that equation, that discussion, et cetera, is how long can you sustain that? Yeah. And what you'll hear is, well, I can't sustain it because we can't fulfill because we're not full-time on this thing, et cetera. Right. Every time. I would rather be 
super backordered on everything that I've been uh, and all my customer orders then have to be the opposite, which is we're all fulfilled yeah. and we got nothing to do. Right. right. We filled like, both those orders from this month. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, I want to create backlog. I want there to be customers saying there's far more demand than I can you know, have for capacity. I want that for as long as possible. In fact, yeah. I want it to the point where maybe I have to turn away some orders. And that may sound ridiculous. But the one it's thing- a good problem to have. It is a good problem. And I don't think people are used to that because we think very linearly. We, we think, okay, if, if the orders are coming in now and they're coming in at this amazing rate, then it must mean- that that rate will continue. Yeah. And if you've never Whatever, done ever, this ever. before, if you've never done a startup, the one thing you can be absolutely certain of is it won't continue at that rate <laughs> I mean, yeah. at all. You just can't see around the corner. Yeah, for sure. And so we used to go through this a lot um, at the agency in professional services. This is almost the hallmark of professional services. Yep. It looks like this. You get a big new client. You are way understaffed. You're way under-resourced to possibly service that client. So all you can think of is we have to hire people, hire, we hire, have to go hire. find contractors, partners, etc. And you just have to be able to fill that back in because this is the order that's going to start to redefine what all future progress is going to be. No, it's not. <laughs> right. No, it's not. This order will be a hint of what maybe it can be if you fulfill this one and sell, you know, sell the next deal and the next deal and the next deal. But until you can create a consistent pipeline that can persist that line going up and to the right, you have basically a blip and not a trend. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of things that cause this, right? If we look over to the marketing side, then it's, it's things like, how certain are you where your sales are coming from? You know, how are you generating this traffic? Do you have a reliable means of, of continuing to do that? And you said, you know, in the beginning, often you get this blip of sales that may be around launch. There's also something that happens, um, you know, depending on the size of the market you're going after, um, there's almost always some niche market. Like there's always some like early customers, like your early adopters, which I would, I would treat differently than early customers, right? Your early adopters are people point. who are typically looking for the solution in a way that other people aren't, right? They're, right? they're voraciously searching for a solution to this problem. They need it. And so they're likely to adopt at, at a much earlier stage, be willing to pay more and, and those kind of things. And so as you work your way through that super high engaged population, then you may find that it's harder to continue to repeat that, right? That's where all of a sudden you hit this, this you know, sometimes it's just a plateau in the sales. Sometimes it's a cliff, right? Mm -hmm. You've worked your way through all of the, the, the super, super fans and now they're gone and you don't know why. So one of the questions I often like to ask is, how certain are you that you can continue to drive sales at this level? Meaning I know where to find my customers. I know how much it costs me to acquire them. And I know how much it costs me to service them. And we can keep doing that, right? And very rarely are people like, oh, 100%, all three of those things. And so that's another hallmark that you need to be looking for as you decide Am I ready to pull the plug and and make this my full-time gig and not my side hustle? These are really important factors to have nailed down and have some certainty around. Yeah, and so what we're talking about is, do I have sustainable customer acquisition? Yep. And, and here's the problem. You kind of don't know yeah. until you don't have it anymore. Right. right. So, so he, It he, works here's until the most, it doesn't. <laughs> here's the most popular um, uh, sequence that I see. 
startup gets started. They have a big announcement. They get a bunch of uh, early adopters, which is fantastic. They get a ton of what feels like actual uh, user adoption and acceptance, and everybody loves the product, et cetera. Yeah. And they say, we've nailed it. This is a word-of-mouth product. Just everyone loves it, yada, yada. And that sounds good. But what no one tells you at the time, but you'll find this out later, whether on your own or somebody will tell you, is there are different areas, that, that basically steps, like you said, Ryan, where from one moment, you kind of burn through your early adopters. Then you have your next wave. And your next wave are all the people that are easy to acquire paid traffic. Yep. And you acquire them. They typed in exactly that keyword on Google, right? They typed in or, or they saw exactly the right targeting on Facebook. And those are your inner circle kind of layup paid acquisition folks. Yep. Your job doesn't really show up until you exhaust those. You don't really know what business you have until you've no lo- you can no longer use those people in any capacity. They've already given yep. you their money. Yep. Your job shows up for the people who don't type in exactly your keyword, go to exactly your landing page and convert. Yeah. So another way to look at it is your first hundred or thousand customers are not at all representative of what the rest of your business is going to look like. That's right. The market the, scale. The first three clients you signed at the agency are not at all representative of what it's going to be like to sign up business for you. <laughs> I'm going back in time and remembering my first three clients from my agency. And and my thought is, thank God they weren't <laughs> they weren't representative <laughs> of the future work. Oh man. It would have been a much smaller business and a, and a much bigger headache. Yeah. So that that's that's almost always true though, right? Like the people that you start with, the 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 work that you're doing early on, um, particularly in professional services, right? Sure. I mean, l- less so with with product and software in some cases, but uh, yeah, the that, that early market is really tough. It's really tough to figure that out. And I, and I like the way you put that, right? That your job really begins, you know, when you've exhausted that low hanging fruit. Uh, the other thing that I often look at and I ask people is, how many channels have you opened up? Right. If you're talking about customer acquisition specifically, how many channels have you opened up? Because if you're reliant on a single channel, right, it's dangerous. Right. If you're saying like we live and die on on pay per click, and I'll ask them like, okay, cool. Have you been through you know a heavy retail cycle yet? Where all of a sudden the prices for all that stuff change? And like, no. Okay, well then your business is going to get real different between Thanksgiving and Christmas. So be prepared. Right. So you know having a you know being mono channel um, can work. Right. But there's going to be a limitation on that. And there's certainly a, a heavy amount of risk that you want to hedge against um, as you think about, you know, going back to the context of today, which is should I quit my day job and focus on this full time? And, you know, one of the one of the key things I would look at is how many channels do you have open? How reliable are they? How repeatable are they? How well do you understand what it takes to drive success in each of those channels? And that takes time. Right. It takes right, time. Right. There's seasonality to that. So, you know, going back to this notion of how long should this take, it should take as long as it takes. There's no real uh, benefit in getting to the end of the side hustle road really quickly, right? Unless you're sure the business is doing what it needs to be doing. Okay. So we've talked about a few things then, right? We've talked about, let's drag out our customer capital, our paycheck capital as long as possible. Yep. We've talked about, let's give ourselves just a minute to make sure that those those blips are actually trend lines. You know, that yeah. first customer we sold or that that customer acquisition spree that we've had, that there's actually some way to sustain that over some period of time. And I think the, as we said at the, the top of the show, I think the, the one strategy we want to impose in every case is going to be give it time. Yeah. Right? Give the side hustle some time. However, 
let's talk about when it's no longer time to give it time. When it being a side hustle is now an impediment to this business actually running. Yeah, yeah. When Ryan, when you talk to founders, and you know, we talk to thousands of founders, when you talk to founders and you think it's probably time to make the jump, what are some things that come to mind for you or things that you've seen where you feel like, yeah, you know what, you should probably be doing this full time? Yeah, there's a, there's a number, all right? And they tend to be highly contextualized to the business. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm searching now for generalities, but I would say one of the generalities is that you've, you've got a stable customer base, like we talked about, mm-hmm. right? And you're starting to lose out on your ability to, so let, let's say, you know, use your, your example from a few minutes ago, you're now turning away some orders, right? Right. When you start turning away orders on a regular basis, if this becomes a repeatable thing and you know what the return on those is, there's a pretty easy calculation that can be done there to determine whether it's time right. or not, right? So that, right. that's a pretty, pretty simple one. One of the others, um, and, and I've seen this happen, where the business grows and the founder keeps, the, keeps this going as a side hustle, but the business has actually started to do well enough or necessitously has hired people. Right. Right. That can get out of control pretty quickly. Right. If you've got staff, you have people who are now need some level of management and you are not available, you know, on demand, that can be pretty problematic. Right. So if the business is to a point where it relies on human capital and you can't turf that off to contractors or other people who are a bit more autonomous, that's often a a point at which things have to turn full time. Right. But again, not without some of those other metrics being in place, right? That's not like to say, oh, well, I hired a bunch of people and I'm burning through my savings and I have to quit my job so I can go manage them. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying if the other factors are holding true and you're thinking that maybe it's time to do this from a managerial perspective, that's often another trigger. Yeah, and and I feel like at some point, you are holding the business back. You know, I've seen this sure. too. I had a, a woman that I was working with. Uh, she had a, a specialty retail business and she was saying, look, I have so many orders backed up at this point that at some point I'm kind of bankrupt on orders, if you will, you know, and there's another piece to it is I can hire other people to work on this, but it's going to be an inferior product if they work on it. If I'm not working on it, yeah, I'll get paid a little bit less than I'm getting paid now, but it'll be the right type of product. In the agency world, it would have been, I could contract out, but the the client's going to get a a terrible product. So I kind of need to do it myself. I think at that point where the product is going to notably suffer, yet there's still enough runway to make it viable. There's still enough repeat order and and there's a bit of a trend there to make it viable. Yeah, it's time to jump ship. You know, when you've kind of waited out the trend line, it is time to jump ship. And I would argue, opposite point now, that it it is starting to hurt your business by not making that jump because because you can only side hustle for so long. Yeah. Right? You know, we're talking about how the the paycheck can help you. We're talking about how the customer capital can help you. We're talking about how looking for the trend lines, et cetera, can help you. But all we're really saying is we're looking for the point at which you can feel comfortable making the jump, but now it's time to make the jump. Yep. And if and if you're checking those other boxes, yes, it's absolutely time to make the jump and you should feel good about it. Yeah, now for sure. Yeah, and I think that the other the other thing that we we sort of touched on it earlier is that it doesn't necessarily have to be a full binary switch, right? You I'm could phase point. yourself out, right? You could yeah. leave the full time gig and consult for the same company or another company in the same space, right? And there are ways to kind of dial that 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 back, um, which gives you time to adjust into the role, right? Because the 
the disaster scenario, and, and we see this happen, why well, founders call us and, and, and cry into the handset on this one, they jump ship and now they have a full day to spend on this. They've got their full week. They've got all the time in the world. They're spending the time, but nothing's happening as fast as they wanted to from a business Never perspective, did. right? Doesn't right. matter how much they're pouring into it. It's not going to return any faster. And now they're, they're, in, they're in dire straits. And so rather than make that kind of binary leap, um, if you can throttle one down as you throttle the other up, then I, I think you find yourself in a better position. Of course, not everybody can do that, right? You may, you may need to leave your job or may the demands of the business may be full-time. Another one that I heard a few weeks ago, uh, and this was, uh, this is not a very common one, uh, but this founder uh, knew down to the dollar that he was losing money by staying in his current job. Sure. Uh, that's like, the ideal case, right? Right. He knew yeah. that if he, if he simply, and it's a service-based company that he's running, uh, it's a consulting company, but he knew that based on what he was making at his current job and based on, on clients he didn't take on, that he was actually losing money by being in the other business. Now, here's the caveat. And there, there almost always is one, right? His wife was pregnant and they were on the healthcare plan of the primary job. Ooh. Yeah. And yeah, so he was yeah, like, I'm losing money, but I'm not losing enough to take on the insurance premiums and the cost of, of, of carrying the, uh, the birth out of pocket. So it gets nuts. Right. Yeah. So, you know, there's, there's so many factors that play into this decision. Um, that again, like we can talk in generalities, but like, there's a lot of calculus to be done to figure out when the right time to go is. I love the hedge. I love the idea of, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna still uh, work on some something part time. It doesn't yeah. even have to be necessarily my current job. You know, I've heard yep. a lot of people bartending while they're doing their side hustle or trying to make it their their full time hustle, and, yep. and and they seem you know a little bit ashamed by that. I'm like, there is no shame in that. You know, None whatever whatsoever. you have to do, yeah. to to pay some bills. I was a typist. Is ridiculously right. that sa- <laughs> in, in this day and age, right? That sounds yep. so absurd. But back in '94, when I was starting Blue Diesel, my first company. One of my part-time jobs to, to supplement income was, I, this is so funny to say, I was in a typing pool. My yeah. one skill is that I could type really fast. And so I got put with Nationwide Insurance to be in a typing pool. It was me and 140 other women. And I was the only guy there. And I remember just getting handed piles of papers to type. I mean, I, type. it's hard to even believe I'm telling you this story. That that's a thing. It was yeah. so absurd. But I had no shame in it. That's how I was paying enough money to like keep yep. my, my lights on so I could go do what I was doing. Right. Well, that's interesting because that's that's really that's kind of flipping the script. That's the the side hustle to support the startup. Yeah. Right. Absolutely, right? man. Which is there's nothing wrong with that either, right? Like again, it's about giving yourself the freedom and flexibility to to have the luxury to work on the business, right? Whatever that costs and whatever it takes to do that. You know, for a lot of folks too, and I, I don't want to overlook this because we're talking about businesses where we can already sell something, yep. right? As in the product's already out there. A lot of the businesses that are out there, people are in development mode. They're in product development mode. They don't have a product to sell. So all the yeah. trends we've been talking about, you know, uh, sales are up, CAC is down, whatever, they can't even see. And they're thinking, well, this product's never going to get fully developed unless I quit everything and focus on this and make it happen. And, and just to be fair, millions of founders do this. And also to be fair, it usually ends really wrong. Yeah, <laughs> It usually does not go well. Uh, we only hear about the success stories. But yes, people also do that. For folks, though, that I think that have to build the product, I would try to be as, as savvy as possible in trying to figure out how to build the product in a way where I can kind of 
keep my day job, if you will, or some variant of it, and keep, yeah. keep my lights on, so to speak, and build the product, because those timelines can go for a very long time. And even when it's built, I've got a whole other timeline to find out if anybody cares about it. Right, right. So I want to be able to hold on to my runway, if you will, as long as possible, even in product build phase. Well, this is where I harp on the, on the service proxy, right? So if you're building software, you're building a repetition of a process, right? Right. So that can be done by people, right? right. Maybe not as efficiently and so forth, but you know, I, it's very rare that I dig into a software product that you couldn't have built some sort of consulting offering around as the proxy for understanding the the business itself, understanding the the, the cost, understanding the the pain in the problem for for your customer, meeting some of those future customers once you do have a scalable product and all that stuff. So, yeah, it, it's very rare that I encounter one where it's like, well, no, I have you'd have to be full time on this. You're going to have to spend a year building before you make any money. Um, you're going to have to take on capital to do it. Like, there's just very few businesses where that's actually true. Or, or what you're talking about, which I love, which we actually did at Fundable.com back in 2012, yeah. we built essentially a consulting product, uh, partially because no one knew how to use our product. All these people yeah. wanted to raise money, but no one actually knew the process of how to raise money. They needed pitch decks and, you know, and all these things. And so we built a consulting arm around that product, which, yeah. I mean, at some point became bigger than the, the, the product itself because yes. there, there was so much demand there. Yeah, I love it. I love it when people take kind of a multifaceted approach to how they're going to enter the market. They say, look, the ultimate goal, of course, is we want a SaaS business that just makes money in our sleep. But here's what we're going to do in the interim. When do we sleep? Yeah. Where was that <laughs> part? Sleep part, yeah. <laughs> but we're going to build something in the interim that more or less allows us to operate in a way that kind of keeps things going, helps us develop the product, but kind of keeps some cash coming in. So I, I love yeah. the hybrid approach to uh, getting moving uh, forward on the side hustle. Yeah. And I don't think that it's just a flywheel either. It's not necessary that, that that's the thing that you build. It's not the MVP, right? Sure. The, the service-based offering can continue to have a valuable uh, role within the business to keep you close to your clients, help you understand the problems more in real time and all those things. So like, there's, there's a lot of value in that um, beyond just the flywheel. Of course, you know, in some cases you may find that a software solution just performs so much more efficiently, so much more cost-effectively that that becomes all that's necessary but you know, there's still no shame in starting with a service-based offering so that you can be getting paid right from the beginning. Um, use that to learn, use that to direct the build and to fund the whole damn thing, right? Nothing wrong with that at all. Okay, so Ryan, if we recap this out and we say, what are the things that I should be paying most attention to if I'm looking to make my side hustle my full-time hustle? First thing we talked about, runway. Yeah. Keep it as long and infinite as possible. If that means your current job, your current paycheck, awesome. Do yep. that as long as you possibly can, as in the probably longer. And if we're if we're really you know being honest about it, customer capital, any kind of early customer capital we have, whether it's from consulting like we just talked about, or anything that we can do to kind of keep customers paying us, non dilute capital that could last as long as we can keep shipping the product, yep. awesome. Let's do that for as long as we can, even if. It's not exactly the way we want to make money long-term. That's it. You know, even if that's we can trans transfer that later, that's a great way to get started for now. The second point we made was talking about trend lines. We want to make sure that whatever we think the trend line looks like now, that it's not a blip. Because if we get a huge number of orders, a huge surge of interest this month, just hang on a second, Yeah. right? <laughs> Let's just give it a month. Let's give it two months. Let's give two, it three months. Three. 
Yeah. If after three months and you know your mileage may vary, everything still looks great, cool. If after we've already exhausted our first round of customers and now we're doing paid marketing and it's backing out and it's working great, yeah. cool. Those are trend lines. We can get behind that. Just don't get stuck. Don't get tricked in the it happened for a second, so now it works forever yeah. uh, kind of mindset. Repeatability, sustainability, there's key. Without that, you it do all- not have the information you need to make this decision accurately. And I think the last point is, even when we are ready to kind of jump ship, so to speak, and, and jump into this new gig, it's okay to supplement our work and our, our income, really, with something else, Yep. right? It's okay to say, look, I'm, I'm quitting my day job, so to speak, but here's my new side hustle, which is the income side hustle, yeah. that I use to offset what my new you know, full-time hustle is. Nothing wrong with that. It's a Nothing great at all. idea. No, it's, it's, there's far more honor in that than going down with the ship, right? Yeah. That's the alternative, which is that, well, I had to, I had to, I had to close it down rather than become a bartender to, to keep paying my rent. Then what's the point, right? No a- shame in that whatsoever. Uh, absolutely. So I think, you know, t- to recap, what we care about in the side hustle is sustainability above all else. It's, yeah. it's about making a decision at the right time using the right data and doing whatever we possibly can from that moment on to yeah. keep hopes alive. Agreed. That's a wrap for this episode of the Startup Therapy Podcast. This is Ryan Rutan on behalf of my partner, Will Schroeder, and all the Startups.com family thanking you for joining us. And we hope you'll continue to join us. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and comment on iTunes or wherever you love to listen to Startup Therapy. You can find all of our episodes at startups.com slash podcast. If you're looking for more amazing resources to launch or grow your startup, be sure to head to startups.com and check out Startups Unlimited. It's everything we have to offer from our online university to our amazing community of experts and founders, and even all the tools we've built like BizPlan, Fundable, and LaunchRock. It's everything a founder needs. Visit startups.com slash begin. That's startups.com slash B-E-G-I-N. You'll thank me later.